Welcome to Account-Based Marketing. This podcast is designed as a collection of conversations with sales and marketing leaders, sharing thoughts and practical tips for growing your most valuable customers. Hosted by me, Alicia Linden, founder and CEO at Momentum ABM. Welcome to this episode of Account-Based Marketing. One of the most requested topics of the year has been to hear from key account directors and their experience of account-based marketing. So to end the year, we're bringing together a recording from our most recent client event where we heard from three key account directors and their first-hand experience of the enterprise buying cycle. One of the key topics that the panellists covered was the complexity in the buying cycle and the need to build consensus and to continually justify a decision as you progress through the buying cycle. We heard from Greg Goulson, Key Account Director at Oracle, on his take in sales. Yeah, I think there's, there's, a, there's a lot of real challenges out there. I think there's, um, there's a big challenge within IT departments fighting for their very relevance. Um, uh, there's, a, mm-hmm. there's a big, um, I think across the board, uh, distrust between business uh, and IT um, and, and the business owners sit there and go, all I get is no, or all I get is in a year's time, or mm-hmm. all I get is that's going to be really expensive. Um, I think uh, somebody once described it as a big shadow of IT failure um, running over the business. So there's a lot of trust issues. Um, and you know what, what we like to try and do um, is, you know, if we're working with IT, is we like to take in new ideas, etc., their problem is, is that even if they start to believe those ideas, they go knock on the door of you know, the HR department or the finance department and they just sit there and go, go away and make what you know, you're supposed to have delivered work. Don't come to me with new ideas. Which is really interesting because that's often what comes back at us. It's a bit depressing. It is depressing, <laughs> right? Um, and so then what you've ended up with in, as we move into a cloud world, and the reason you know, I think cloud is sort of accelerated uh, significantly fast. I think it's actually been a little bit in spite of IT. So I think, you know, initially what's happened is business owners have gone out and gone, you know, I don't need you, right? right? I've got a credit card. I've got a thing. I can, I can get, you know, Salesforce initially and I can just go and do my own thing and I don't need to deal with those people. Um, and I think that's what's coming now full circle is um, both, we were talking about it before, but the, the business have ended up with shadow IT departments and doing things that they're not traditionally that good at, right? Um, so volume testing and all of that sort of more complex IT stuff have ended up, and, and one of my clients, we, we, we uncovered a shadow IT department in HR of 50 or 60 people doing all this stuff. Um, so, you know, and, and at a time when costs are being challenged, um, I think there's a massive, massive change going on. And the challenge that we think is faced, we, we have to all face into is, how do we play to both audience? How do we make everybody winners in that environment? We were also joined by Alistair Sadlier, Global Account Director at Google, and here's his take on the role of innovation and the vendor-partner relationship. I, I'll echo what Greg said. I mean, I was dealing with a large um, customer and I was talking to one of their divisions and they said oh we don't go and talk to IT because IT have a strap line which we say is delivering yesterday's technology tomorrow <laughs> and I thought that, that, that's quite good um, I actually I'm, I'm going to just push maybe it's because where I am I'm just going to push it up a bit and I think actually what I think businesses are doing 
is businesses are now realizing that they can no longer innovate. They don't have the funds and the capability to innovate um, as they used to in terms of technology and taking things out to the business. They're now actually outsourcing their innovation to software vendors and to big, large organizations. Okay. And I think sometimes, and when you said what they want, actually, I don't even think they, they know what they want mm -hmm. because they're being disintermediated. It can't speak disintermediated, left, right, and center. Mm -hmm. And so they're kind of going, come on, guys, come and give us some ideas. And so actually, that's a business function, not an IT function. And then obviously, IT are quite, you know, they, they want to keep their jobs and they want to keep people going. Um, and so they're trying to retain control and get control of what shadow IT is becoming. But I actually, I was having to have this conversation earlier with Greg. I think what shadow IT is actually, while some of the IT divisions look at it as a problem, it's actually what's keeping the business alive because the businesses are going out and doing stuff really quickly as they need um, and just bypassing IT. And, and so it's creating a different dynamic because what is the role of IT now? So is the role of IT now to actually manage its existing systems or is it, or is it the, for them to become an interface with the vendors for them to become the interface. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's what I'm seeing a lot. Our third panelist is Paul Wooding, Senior Sales Director at Cloudera. And Paul talked a little bit about some of the risks that he's seen in the buying cycle. Fundamentally, it's the boardroom. Boardroom of any organization that holds the risk. Why? Because at the bottom of that is data. Um, fundamentally, it's the data owner that holds the risk of exposure, breach, and exploitation. So regardless of whether it's sitting in a cloud, whether it's sitting in an outsourced, wherever that data sat, ultimately it comes back to the boardroom decision as to, well, you chose to put it there. So if you look at Thomas and Cook, you look at anybody who's gone out of business, have a look at fundamentally why they went out of business, and then have a look at what the consequences are to all of their customers. Um, and it's interesting if we sort of lift that up conversationally, to individual departments, whether it's the IT, whether it's your front of house in your business, whether it's your back office, whatever it is, uh, a boardroom's trying to juggle those priorities, work within a finite resource pool of money, people, uh, market pressures, etc., and then try to serve up a profitable business, satisfy the shareholders. But if they stopped and thought about that shareholder position, then they'd understand that without those customers, then they won't have any shareholders. So where do they have to prioritize? They have to think about customers, ultimately, regardless of who we are. And I think if you know, that conversation is the one that, going back to that mood about pace of change, change is endemic, everything's changing. And that pace is getting faster and faster, is certainly my perception. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's all changes you know, for the better. But inherent in that conversation about why you're changing something, it really needs to be fundamental towards what's the risk appetite of this change. Do we really want to make this change and cause our IT department to be irrelevant whilst we move everything to the cloud and then put all of our faith in the cloud of looking after our data ad nauseum? Because fundamentally there's challenges on both. So in a beautiful world where I can sit on this side of um, the cloud vendors and say, actually, it's more of a hybrid world. Nature is, and I think you said no, it nicely. I agree. It is definitely. It's a, yeah, you know, yeah. many, yeah. many parties yeah. play in that, and there's a risk share that can be quantified, but ultimately the board have the responsibility of risk. 
Over the past few years, we've seen a really big shift in the way that organizations are engaging with IT and particularly driven by cloud vendors, cloud partnerships. Companies are shifting the relationship that they've had historically with their IT function. Here's Greg's take. Born in the cloud companies, they have the luxury of being born in the cloud, right? For most mortal organizations have a legacy of, 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 of of applications and on-premise technology, that it is too simplistic just to say, oh, right. And actually, we've watched, I've watched customers who go and spin up these funky new departments who go off and do all this stuff. And, and the problem is they can spin up something which looks really cool, but it doesn't scale because unfortunately at the back end there's a hairy assed big monolithic system that they can't get rid of overnight. So you're absolutely right that, you know, that that's part of the tension. <laughs> is that actually, yeah, IT get painted as the bad guys, right? When actually they're kind of like the parents who are going, yeah, I, I wish it was that simple. Um, I know you don't want to hear the uncomfortable truth, right? But the truth of the matter is I can't give you all that data on a, you know, uh, just like that because of the uncomfortable truth, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why there's that part of the reason there's the tension. Um, whereas they'll sit there and go, yeah, but I got... A, 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 a team yesterday to spin up this amazing new thing, right? And you can't even do, you know, the simplest things. Well, partly because a lot of the data is sitting somewhere which is uh, inaccessible. The way that enterprise organisations are buying continues to not only increase in complexity, but we're also seeing more and more stakeholders and individuals involved in that buying decision. One recent sale that we were involved in, there were over 100 stakeholders that were part of the transaction. And here's what our panel thought. I think the, uh, the influence uh, map, I think I saw an article this morning that said the average buying committee is you know, 6.8 people. I don't know who the point eight is, but anyway, the, uh, the message is that there are more influences into every buying decision, which what does that do? It elongates sales cycles. It means that there's a compromise to be had in all of those things. And it is fundamental, the responsibility of account people. Um, and when I say account people, I mean everybody in an organization touching a large enterprise sale, and I'm thinking of uh, multifunctional business selling here, not transactional, so proper enterprise selling. Mm -hmm. So from that basis, you want all of your team who are representing your product to be engaged in, a, in appropriate points around that buying cycle. And they won't all be operating on a single cycle. Some people will be accelerating parts of that cycle. So it's a really complex mix, and it's the key account director for, um, dare I say, um, the brighter organizations out there who have put responsibilities into key account directors who are empowered to orchestrate all of the resources of a company and bring that to the fore. There are other organizations out there who are trying to take a commoditized approach to selling to enterprises, which completely flip that on their head, where they'll have somebody at the front who all they want them to do is to go out and um, create a pipeline. They just want them to go and find opportunity. They then want to bring that back to the organization and ask the next person up the train to actually qualify that pipe and say, is that a real deal? Can I put that in my pipe? And then they want to go to the next person up the top who then steps over all of them to actually go and close it. And that's a, a, a real enterprise business model that's gathering some traction in high volume startups. So it's an interesting question to go back. How do you try and attach yourself to the value in a sales cycle? and find out the right people, because you're going to find all sorts of people with different agendas. And that, to be honest, is about empowering, in my view, it's about 
empowering your salespeople to then put the best team they can around to then have a strategic plan of engagement. Yeah, it, it, I, I agree. I think, I, I think the answer to that is very, very dependent upon which vendor you are and, and where you've traditionally been. Um, I think, you know, with an Oracle hat on, our relationships built over tens of years have been very, very embedded in an IT organization. And, it, and actually, from a sales and marketing perspective, it is really, um, you have to tread very carefully. So, you know, at Oracle, in my role, we naturally have, and you, you know, you had the same thing, was we naturally have um, strong relationships with the group CIO or, a C, you know, at that, that level. Now, that's great, because that means I can get a meeting, you know, at, at, uh, across the road at Sainsbury's with, with, with Phil relatively easily. Um, however, it makes it challenging to go and then ha try and have a business conversation with the CFO. or, the, or the, and That's an Oracle perspective, right? Other organizations where they've been used to selling actually more into the business, in this more complex world with 6.8 people on a committee, right? The reality is if you really want to win, you've got to cover off all 6.8, right? Or let's be realistic, 5.8, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, because yeah. you're never going to get to everybody, but uh, that should be our goal. Now, the problem that organizations certainly, I think most of them have, um, is that they're stronger in one area of that, and, and it becomes really difficult to cover all those bases. And I you know, generally think that's why account-based marketing becomes really, really important in this, to try and change that conversation <laughs> without upsetting and uh, disenfranchising your, your, your key stakeholders. Really difficult, uh, something that I would sit and worry about pretty much on every, every situation that I deal with. How, how do we square that circle? So that's a kind of highly kind of view of marketing, isn't it? That we kind of reach the parts that the key counterparty can't reach. So we're going out to the world and saying, um, we're going to them saying, uh, I'm dealing with Unilever, for example. They've said that they're going to now recycle more plastic than they send out. They're going to do 100,000 tonnes a year and bring back more plastic than they send out. How can we as an organisation help them do that? Mm -hmm. and I think that, so I'm, I, so I'm having really, really, really big, big life-changing questions and globe-changing questions with them as well. And they are using, they are saying, well, we can't do that. We don't have the ability to do that. How does a big technology company how can they help us do that? And what resources and what ecosystem can you put around yourselves to help us with that? Um, so it's, I'm having a different question. I'm having them right at that level. So yeah. the interesting challenge, and I think it's what goes back yeah. to Judy's question right at the beginning is, um, despite the large C-suite conversation of, I'm just gonna stand on a stage and I've made a commitment to Google mm. for a three-year mm. um, partnership, despite that, a, you know, an organization yeah. has taken many years of trying to move to a new world of technology and is still frustrated by its own internal processes and people and layers of bureaucracy. So despite having that big agenda with a C-suite on organizations of you know, several hundred thousand, they are challenging themselves to actually direct. I've got two scenarios right now with um, large customers where middle management are losing their jobs for not um, buying into the direction of travel that the C-suite have made. Mm -hmm. Now that's the sort of extreme position. The opportunity that I see with um, different um, sales cycles is actually to get in amongst that and be a partner to the, as many of those friends as you can. And often you see that um, certainly when we engage our marketing team in that, their empathy in that conversation is fundamentally different to that of the sales. And so we all have roles to play within those individual buying cycles 
that therefore then brings the power of the organisation. I think you know. I, I think that's what we were talking about earlier mm. about companies that have big brands but fundamentally are maybe still commoditized. Mm. Trying to transform that into a serious enterprise, you know, big transformational conversation, that's quite a challenge and that needs, you know, a far more intellectual approach, which I think is the type of okay. conversation. So I focus, um, as a key account director, I, I, I think my focus is really about um, getting the relationship between the two organizations working. So I don't focus on deals anymore. Um, and Just the partnership. I, 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 I do focus on the individual deals, and I focus on individual deals if they're strategic. But some of, them, some of that stuff's just going to happen without, again, without me getting involved in it. Um, what I do focus on is how do I make myself relevant to the organization so that, that they come to me as the first port of call or they come to me to have that conversation. And I can say, when I'm doing strategic deals, you, 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 you know, tens of people are involved in the decision-making process. Tens of. And not all of them are equal. And sometimes they're in diff different organizations, sometimes they're in different companies, sometimes they're in different opcos, and then it's all pulling that all together to do something at the end. Yeah. One of the single biggest areas that we've seen marketing can add value, particularly in an enterprise sale, is helping to articulate that value-based message. What is the value their business can bring to that enterprise organisation? I'll hand over to the panel who can talk us through how marketing can add value in this complex sale. So I think um, fundamentally it's strategic thinking. Yeah. So it's looking to... Um, if you're in a luxurious position where you don't have to think about the deal, um, then that's great. <laughs> that might be a new job. <laughs> um, reality is that every single one of the sales guys who's got you know, the scale of um, enterprise we're talking to, there's, there's deals going on all the time, and the sales focus, regardless of how much I'd love to have, you know, a three-year comp plan, the reality is I've got a one-year comp plan and I've got a quarter the number that I have to deliver each quarter. Yeah. And what I'm really looking for from, uh, from marketers is to give me that strategic uh, longer vision, certainly a mid-term and preferably a long-term vision, um, to help lift the conversation whereby when you've come out of a closing deal cycle, typically you're not then starting afresh with a new one or you've got multiples going on. So that account-based uh, engagement, um, having a partner in uh, a marketer often brings uh, very much a, a different mindset. But it is that balance and bringing a different view to the short term, got to close, got to close, got to close, which is quite right, they have to be there. But then it's how do you make sure that you've got a long-term business plan? I, I think there are three tiers in my mind okay. to this. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the top tier talks to what Alistair mentioned, which is relevance. Um, so, um, how do we actually drip in messaging that when, because it's now a complex buying cycle and etc. When a customer, and it might be anyone in that organisation, mm -hmm. <laughs> starts to happen upon an idea or a business need or whatever, how do I increase my chances that they will actually reach out? 
through their search engines or through their research, which we now know they do more of before they even go to a vendor, mm -hmm. that they will think that my company is relevant to what they're doing. I think that's really, really hard. Again, different companies, different problems, right? And Oracle, that is a real problem because we're seen in a box of, of this is what you do. Um, but that to me is, is invaluable. Now that can either be, you know, at, at the top level, sort of the advertising type stuff. But, but I think there's a, another area, an area we're working on with, with you guys now, which is, you know, how, how do we use things like LinkedIn and social media to sort of just drip, drip, drip. Oh, yeah, I, I saw that this company was into this. Mm -hmm. So that's one element. The other element is then when I look at my account team and, and the many opportunities, some of which I get, do get involved in, some I don't, right? But when we pick out the strategic things, mm -hmm. then I want my marketing team or my marketing partner to come in and help strategize. Actually, often 12 months, 18 months out, even before my account team are really, really seeing it as a forecasted deal. I have a, we do have a luxury in, in, in Oracle where my plan is a three-year plan. Um, so I'm sitting there going, right, I know that they're going to be looking at, or they should be looking at, a replacement finance system or an HR system or whatever system, right, 12, 18 months down the line. That is actually before my sales guy who's responsible for that is even being quoted on it, even being forecasted it. So it, it says, right, there's a horizon here. How do we up the ante on the stuff that was general, get a little bit more specific, start to target in on those 6.8 or 20 individuals who may or may not be influencing and build a plan, right, an engagement plan around that, both internally, so who are my players internally, because again, we work in a multifaceted, right, trying to play different people in that stakeholder group. Um, and then the final piece of the puzzle is because we are now, if we're working in a cloud environment, we're now a service organization, yeah. right, is how do I have a marketing plan that engages in making that, firstly, a success for the customer, right, and secondly, earlier on in the piece, saying when we have an incredible success, Mr. IT person, Mr. Business work person, right, how can we then go and help promote that yeah. out to you know, the world? Mm -hmm. um, and that's also been a really interesting challenge. Sainsbury's is a, is a classic case in point where for years we've been trying to get joint marketing with them and they've been going, we, we kind of like the idea, but we have a policy that says we won't do this. And in the last three months, um, their LinkedIn activity has quadrupled. Right? Okay. The, the, and, and coming out of IT in droves. They've rebranded their IT department, they want to attract talent, all the things that we've been telling them, this will help you do. And funnily enough, we timed our approach to say, right, we, we'd like to do a, a video now with a success of what you've done at Argos, and they've gone, come in, welcome. Right? So we're gonna do that. So I think that is, how do you then take that and market the success, because then that brings you back into in old school thinking, the top of the funnel. <laughs> I, again, I hugely echo what you said about it because I think marketing does not stop when the sale occurs. There is a whole post-sale and the, and, the, and the evolution of it. And again, it's about establishing more relevance and then establishing the organization I work for as an innovative. We may not have the answer. We may not come in and say, uh, here is a product specifically needed for to go into that, that, that problem, but it's the talk to us, establish the organization that I work for as a relevant company that is innovative so that when they do want about 
have a, they, they do want to have an idea or they do want to talk to somebody about it, they come to us to talk to us about it. Um, and again, the third thing is, is around, um, around those very large opportunities, identifying who the key players are and then making sure that we, we pinpoint accurately and market to them accurately as well. But that's, that's, I suppose, it's the luxury when we work for big organizations and we're looking to do these huge, huge multi-million deals after a number of years. In my experience, one of the biggest areas that marketing can add value in an enterprise sale is the articulation of the message. What is the value their business is bringing to that enterprise? Here's what our panel thought on where marketing can add value. It's really interesting. Uh, edu it's education. I, I would, it's education. Uh, and it? again, I'll, I'll give it from an oracle yeah. perspective, and, and it's certainly, I, I think there's a pattern, and I'm going to sound very arrogant here, but I think there's a pattern that actually the people who've been successful have actually used ABM extensively. And, and the reason I say that is because this man was very successful, he used ABM. But I went on to, uh, I, I was fortunate enough to be asked to go and help train um, some key account directors in another country in the summer. And they sent three of us, um, me from the UK, somebody from uh, Spain and somebody from Germany. And we hadn't compared notes beforehand. Mm -hmm. And, I, and, and they said, how did you, the, the, the subject matter was, how did you go out and win transformational mm. deals, right? Um, and all three of us had a, almost exactly the same story, right? And we all embedded ABM into that, sale, into that whole sales process. So the question is, there aren't, I don't think there are as many people who, who, who use it. I'm very thankful of that, because then I get more of the resource, but... Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> That's just me being selfish. Um, but no, I, it does. I, I don't understand why more people don't, right? Um, in, 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 uh, certainly in Oracle, I think the budget's there. You guys will probably tell me differently, but you know, um, nobody ever said no mm. to anything I wanted to do within reason, right? And, and I don't think all our colleagues or your ex-colleagues used it to the extent... No, they didn't. Right? No, they didn't. Why, why A lot of people use it. I think ABM is just event them? management, you know. <sighs> Come to Lack this. Of come imagination. to this Yeah, yeah. Lack of imagination. Okay. Didn't know that it was there, even though we'll happily tell them it's yeah. there, right? Um, Francoise, who you know, would you know would make herself available, and, and um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, you, you'd show them things that we'd done, and they'd all go, ooh. Uh, in fact, some of those initial videos that we came in, there pe people were looking at me, going, "What? Uh, why? Why are you doing that?" And I said, "It'll just proliferate. It will just go through, and it'll start being shown." And, and, you can't measure it. It's unfortunate because you can't measure it, but you can measure it three years down the road when you see the success that's True. happened on it. True story. He yeah. showed a Tesco video, and I just sat there and went, I want one. And I was immediately on the phone to Francoise saying, how do I have one of those that Alistair's got? Right? And we got one. <laughs> right? I mean, I didn't think it was very complicated. I just went, you know, that looks good. I'd say that's but not I ideal was... client behaviour from our point of view, Greg, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. There was the same room of people yeah. who, who saw the same thing that I did, and, and I doubt if that many. So, you know, there's a, there's a laziness within a sales team, right, any sales team that you've got to try and counteract. Um, and, and I don't know, right? And if I, they don't I want to be successful, they don't want to take the, the, well, the I also opportunity, think, then... I also think it's them. a dynamic based on... You're, you're talking about quarterly revenues and yearly revenues because, I mean, you know, salespeople, 
I've been both sides of the coin. If I, I have the luxury to have the distance to be able to think about this stuff, right? That's, yeah. that's just what it is. Mm -hmm. If I've got a quarter number to deliver next quarter or next year, and I don't even know if I'm on the account in two years' time, yeah. why am I bothering? Yeah. You know, I'm just going to... Very good point. I'm just going to just work really hard. Which that yeah. talks to the leadership aspect yeah. of yeah. having yeah. organizations that have got the imagination, the ability to empower, and then create that time and space for their team to be bold and courageous. Whereas there's others that will just be going. Yeah. Where's your number? Where's your number? And you're not. And you're not. And going off and creating some really great material. Well, that's great, but you know yeah. that's not that's not going to yeah. be done by next week. Yeah. And you know, so you. And you may not have the right, account next year. Yeah. Comes from that leadership that says, well, we do know that we need to do this quarterly number, but we also know that we need to create a longer, mm -hmm. a longer horizon. One of the topics that's come up in both this podcast series and in our client interactions is how to get sales and marketing aligned, how can sales and marketing work better together? Here's what our panel thought. But I think the um, how does sales and marketing work more effectively um, together, it is, it, it is looking for that structure that says we've got some key objectives that I will partner with mm -hmm. my opposite number on marketing, who yeah. runs the European marketing, uh, and I won't tell her the things I need, I'll tell her my requirements. I've mm -hmm. got the following requirements please help me, tell me what we're going to do. I think, I suspect most have been frustrated by salespeople who think they're the best marketeer in the world. They say, right, I know just the event we need to go and attend and our, our uh, you know, road will be paved with gold. Yeah. The reality is actually they, they just want to be, back to all the points you're making about be relevant, get me into more conversations, get me higher up the organisation, have me you know, thinking longer term than just this quarter's business. Mm -hmm. So that conversation is how do you make the partnership work? It creates an environment to give that space yeah, and time, yeah, yeah. maybe give good examples, make sure that you're doing best practice, centre of excellence type conversations, uh, and then take it from there. Yeah, I wonder whether, I, mean, I described that relationship between IT and the business before, and I wonder whether there's a relationship problem between marketing and sales, right? Um, well, I know there is, right? Um, but, you know, so uh, again, from a, from a, tra a you know, more traditional uh, point of view is that, um, uh, and you know, I used to run a sales team that was a technology marketing company. So, I, so I sort of used to develop, you know, campaigns and leads that we would deliver to people like you that then would go into. And 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 really, there was a big challenge, right? Because marketing would often feel that their job was done because I've just created a bunch of leads, right? But equally, if they went and then asked the sales leaders what happened to the leads they give you, they were told to go and do one, right? Like none of your business. Right? Back to your, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, yeah. this bit's mine, right? So. You've done your bit, right? And so there was always, again, this tension that, you know, it didn't, it didn't work. And therefore, um, when I was a salesperson maybe running, I don't know, 30 or 40 accounts, right, um, marketing wasn't very relevant to me. Right? They may have produced leads. I never really saw any that they did or that were relevant or that I didn't, or by the time it got to me, I didn't already know about. So, so lead generation, which is what, a lot of people would think about, yeah. really became not very relevant. Now, I think if you're going to try and, we now know in this room that the, the dynamics change, it's all much more complicated. I think, you know, one of the things that um, you guys have got to try and do maybe is get your success stories in, go and find the sales leaders who do think about it differently, right? Try and work with them and make them your reference, you know, in the same way that we're you know, the reference in, internally within Oracle to try and or, or organization. I think that's what you've got to try and do, because otherwise 
I think your relationship's probably fraught. And finally, during the discussion, we also looked at the role of Agile. How can you bring velocity to your pipeline? How can you accelerate deals? And how can you move quickly to get that first mover advantage? Um, it's with difficulty. Yeah. And, and it's one of the things I say to my account teams. I draw a traditional pyramid of, of people. If I just look at it from an IT organization point of view to make it simple, but you know, traditionally in our organization, we were very good at selling to the probably the top 15 people we, we sort of identify mm. as, as relevant. But actually, when you explore it out to 1,500, right, it could be this person here who's spinning up this project. And that, that is the problem. We were not well suited to do that. When I talk about that top level marketing, it's to talk to this big audience. Because I can send, you know, we can all do account mapping and planning to 15 people and, and try and influence those sort of people. But you can't do it to 1,500, right? So that is the biggest challenge that I faced and didn't crack was how do I go and talk to those 1,500? So marketing has to be the, the answer in that. Well. And I think, you know, that, that specific challenge sort of talks to, uh, I think you mentioned right at the beginning, the solution sales. You know? yeah. Solution selling was an evolution on, you know, arguably product selling or transactional selling. Yeah. Um, that then begets to actually customer selling, customer centricity. Mm -hmm. Then it begets to product selling. So we're in a, you know, a desire of B2B thinking of how do we sell to a consumer in a consumer way, that agile approach. You know, these two things have been designed you know, in the wrong way and that re-engineering of sales organisations to interface to a customer's expectation, which is now built upon cloud expectation, mobile phone expectation, app expectation. All of those things are, uh, again, I could highlight an organisation that spent best part of you know, 500 million pounds in trying to get their enterprise applications or their enterprise data into a consumer, you know, just spin up, look at the portal, buy my requirements so I can now go and analyze a bunch of data. And they've, they've spent a huge amount of money. They've got a couple of thousand applications running in, uh, in the cloud and they've got zero customer data sitting in the cloud. Why? because there's a whole back to the legacy we were yeah. talking about. They've got operations in every country around the world which have different data policies that mean they can't actually get the advantage of that experiential sort of, I'll just take my app and now exploit it and give me a business benefit. Can't be done until you get the data to come together with that, which there are ways, goes back to the hybrid. But I think there's a reality check for C-suites who are thinking, this is where we're gonna go, that's where the cost is, I can do this really quickly, because their experience is, if I ask Google, I don't mean Google, no. Google, but if I ask Google other a search question, engines do exist. Yeah. other search engines do exist, <laughs> do they? I get an answer. But I do think that um, the ch I do think that I'm seeing more and more challenging of their way of thinking as being the way that we're now, well, the way that I'm now approaching my customers, rather than saying what is it you want to do is, are you doing the right thing? Are you doing the right thing in this area? Because if you look over here, you're going to be disintermediated unless you do something really, really quickly. And that's where I'm seeing quite a lot of change as well.
Thanks for joining us today. We're giving away a copy of Brilliant Selling by Jeremy Castle and Tom Bird. What the best salespeople know, do and say. To enter, join the conversation on Twitter using the ABM podcast hashtag. This podcast is brought to you by Momentum ABM, the account-based marketing consultancy, transforming how sales and marketing teams grow their biggest customers. You can learn more at MomentumABM.com.